I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. This is Burden of Proof. Welcome. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm good on this fine, hot Florida day. It's always hot. I should do a Canadian accent for this case, but I don't know how to. (laughs) I'm no good at that. Yeah, well. I'm not good at accents in general. No, you're really Except for Southern, and that's because that's how I talked the first few years of my life. Was with the southern twang. Actually, it wasn't southern. It was kind of. Where did you live? My family was from the south. But I started talking when we lived in Kansas. So I kind of had the Kansas twang. Yeah. It's a little bit different. Well, I'm from North Carolina and I don't really have a southern accent anymore. But my mom has the best southern yeah, she accent. Does. She does. It's not quite Georgia, but it's just soft. It's subtle. It's great. It is. It's classy. Yeah. My fam- a classy woman. My family had the the <laughs> the not classy, <laughs> the not classy. Like I I used to the we Joe used to Dirt laugh. Accent. We used to <laughs> kind of. <laughs> we used to te- my poor grandma. My poor grandma. Oh, you leave she her lived, alone. They lived. They moved to. You know how some people lose their accents fairly quickly. Like yeah. once they move and you live someplace different. Not my grandma. Like my grandparents were both from Kentucky. They moved to Akron, Ohio. When they were very young, my grandpa slowly lost his accent for the most part. My grandma never did. And we used to always, it was hilarious to me as a teenager because she'd always ask you, if you ever step foot in her house, she's going to ask you if you want a Pepsi. And then she's going to ask you, do you want some Pepsi with ass? You want some ass with that Pepsi? Ice. Do you want some ice Ice. with that? But it came came out sounding like ass. ass. So, well, me and my brother would sometimes intentionally try to get her to say it just because it was funny. Poor grandma. Poor grandma. Sorry, Elva. (laughs) I love that, Elva. Um, Yeah. Well, Nicholas laughs at me because when I go to North Carolina to visit family, I start, I I get it. It comes out. Yeah. Matt says mine comes out when I get real worked up about stuff. Yeah, when I'm mad. Yep. So, anyway, on to Canadian accents. Yeah, we're going into the world of Toronto and Oshawa. Well, not Oshawa, in Toronto. And I have a friend who lives in Oshawa. That's why I was thinking of Oshawa. (laughs) But it's like outside of Toronto. Shout out, Katie. I know you're listening because you're a real one. Um, What? Nice. Yeah, she is. She's excited. She keeps asking me. She's like, when is it coming? When is it coming? Yeah, I have a couple people that are asking. Sorry, guys. Life. Be like that. <laughs> Life happens. Um, we're covering the Ken and Barbie killers today. Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamolka. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. excited. Yeah. Ken and Barbie. Ken and Barbie. What's not to be excited about? Murder. Well, yeah. <laughs> but if we didn't get, I mean, that sounds twisted. We're true crime people. Yeah. We so we kind of do get excited about murder. Like, not a little about bit. The mur- this one's rough. Not that we want people to be murdered, just yeah. that we... This is rough because they're um, the people that they killed were just a byproduct of their rape, which is really the reality of what they were trying to do. So. Ugh. Ugh is Ugh. right. It is right. So we're going to go ahead and get into it. So Paul Bernardo was born August 27th. 1964, which would make him a Leo. 
right? Am I, I don't know. You're the oh. astrology queen. <laughs> I think so. He was born into... Hold on. I have to Google it or I'm going to die. When's the date again? I'm sorry. 27th of August. I don't know. Not I, 72. <laughs> I don't know when the cutoff is. Is he a Leo or He's a Virgo? He's a Virgo. I would have sworn he was a Leo. Well, what are you going to do? I just ruined all your plans, didn't I? Yeah, because I was going <laughs> to... You're going to blame him? Blame it on him being a Leo. No, I no. mean, like, you know, it's Leo season right now. Life is chaotic. Anyway, he's a Virgo. Um, he was born into a well-off financial family. Um, he didn't have a ton of great role models in his life. So his dad was super abusive. He all. was the last of his siblings. So he was the youngest. His father was verbally abusive towards his mother, calling her horrible names. And his father also abused his daughters sexually which is horrible um around the time that paul was i believe six years old yeah when he was around six his mother located her biological blood sisters and began to visit them on the weekends leaving uh, paul and his siblings alone with their dad when paul was 10 he becomes close friends with some of the neighborhood boys van and steve the man got himself some goons. Oh, at age ten, nice. mm-hmm. they joined the Boy Scouts. Starting young, yeah, and they were known to start fires using magnifying glasses and mm-hmm. twigs and kindling that sort of thing that they learned in Boy Scouts. Yeah, so that's terrifying. I will. I have commentary, but <laughs> I'll just say that I kn- I I knew someone as a kid that. Used to use magnifying glass to light bugs, ants. Oh my on gosh! Fire. I hope you're not still friends with that person. No, I'm not, but I am still related to that person. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so funny. So, well, you know who you are. Enough said. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they won't listen to this. Okay, no. cool, cool, cool. So, um. I'm trying to think about the best way. It, you know, there's there's no there's no easy way to say this. Um, Paul's dad was abusing his uh, sources are weird between seven and eight, six, seven, okay. eight year old daughter sexually. Um, he was charged with child molestation in 1975. The his mom was really withdrawing from the family, and she actually began living in the basement of their home. Um, through the the elder children felt the effects of the household, but Paul was pretty unscathed by it as a kid. He was known as a happy boy who smiled a lot. Um, and this is a quote from Nick Prawn in Lethal Marriage, which is a book about the case. And he was so cute with his dimple good looks and sweet smile that many of the mothers just wanted to pinch him on the cheek whenever they saw him. He was the perfect child, polite, well-mannered, doing well in school, and so sweet in his Boy Scout uniform. Unfortunately, his parents, neither one ever thought that anything he did was good enough, especially academically. So that's pretty sad. Mm. His mom's still recluse, and she's actually, like, living completely out of the basement. She had food down there. 
Like she wow. rarely left the basement. And in 1980, when Paul is about 16, his mother Marilyn reveals to him that Kenneth, his dad, is not actually his biological father. This is when Paul took a turn for the worst and began displaying the abusive behavior that had been modeled to him all his life. He was verbally mm. abusing his mother, calling her a fat cow, a slob, or a whore. And at the same time, he grew into his looks and he realized that he ne- no longer needed to act like the perfect picture son. He had broad shoulders, blonde hair, and blue eyes, and suddenly, girls liked him, no matter how he acted. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Around the same time that his father was charged with child molestation, he was also outed as a peeping Tom. Oh. I remember seeing him sneaking out, nightcap and all, literally the hats included, to go watch a neighbor girl undress at night. It's horrifying. Oh, my gosh. So, at 15, Paul met his first love, his girlfriend Nadine. He lost his virginity to her. And he really thought that she was the one. They were so happy. They were so in love. And then at 16, she broke it off because he was controlling, possessive, and violent. Hmm. So Paul and Van, um, which is his neighborhood friend, mm-hmm. set fire to all of the stuff that she had given him and all of her things. Okay. Yep. So a little bit more about Paul. Paul lived a life, man. He graduates from Sir Winifred Laurier High School at 17, and he begins to go to bars where he lies to women about his age or what he does in order to have sex with them. He enrolls in the University of Toronto at the Scarborough campus, which is where he was living. And at this point, and he's about 19 years old, it's the fall of 1983, and he starts to talk to his friend Van about his virgin farm fantasy. I'll let you guess what that means. (laughs) What? Uh, He wanted a stockpile of women that would have sex with him. And they all had to be virgins. Oh, my God. Yep. Okay. Yep. He continues to date women, um, but they don't really last longer than a month because... Well, yeah, then they're not virgins anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that and... And they, he was just possessive and controlling. So yeah. if he dated them for longer than a month or if any of the women threatened to tell anybody about what he'd done to them, he threatened to kill them. So they didn't really. Paul's lifestyle begins to change around 20 because his father is outed as a peeping Tom in the neighborhood again. Yeah. So he's like completely shifts his attitude towards women, even though this isn't his biological father. Yeah. It's not necessarily hereditary, but... It's definitely interesting. Yeah, Um, but the whole nature versus nurture. mm -hmm. And let's be honest. If his mom (laughs) married somebody who's going to sexually abuse his own children and be a peeping Tom, chances are Paul's biological dad probably wasn't any much better, if any. Exactly. So, for example... Paul eventually has a restraining order issued against him for making obscene phone calls with his to his friend Van's ex-girlfriend. Um, Paul was dating a woman named Carol at this point, and he's still dating her, but he's sleeping around a lot, and he's going on all these one-night stands. Um, and eventually, he starts to see a woman consistently. Her name was Susie, but he was so controlling that even, even after they found out about each other, 
they both remained with him. Like, they both stayed with him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And eventually, uh, in the summer of 1986, Carol ends up taking out a restraining order against Paul because he kept making these obscene phone calls. So... 1987, Paul graduates from high school and he gets a job as a junior accountant at Prince Waterhouse. He starts dating a woman named Jennifer Thompson and then eventually they break up and she threatens to go to the police. At this point, his dating starts to slow down a little bit. Eventually, that's going to catch up with you. Yeah. So throughout the whole story and the whole shebang that I'm going to tell you about today, Paul has lots of different careers. So I'm going to just tell you about a lot of them now because I will not keep up with all of them like in, in the, the timelines. Timeline. Yeah. So and I think that they just they just give a good, you know, indicator of who they are. So remember, he's 22. He's working at Prince Waterhouse. Okay. Either he quits or he gets fired. He loses his job somehow. Um, I think he quit. So he has several different scams throughout his life. Mm. Um, he went through a phase where he bought some sort of machine and started writing bad checks. He and his friend or cousin bought a van and said that they were going to smuggle worms <laughs> and make lots of money smuggling these smuggling worms. worms. And they basically calculated out that if they're moving 10,000 worms, they're making $1,000. <laughs> so... They planned on doing that, and they invested money in it, and then um, it got rained out. <laughs> literally, literally, like they they stopped because they had a really rainy season, and so they <laughs> sold the van and moved on. Okay. Yep. Then they started smuggling cigarettes across the border because Canadian cigarettes were a lot stronger. Yeah, smuggling cigarettes sounds a lot more. Yeah, it's on yeah. brand so, for smuggling. Exactly. So he did that all while. Um, believing that he could make it as a motivational speaker. So this is partly... (laughs) About smuggling worms. No. um, Evangelical Christianism. Oh. (laughs) Christianity. So he got into these mega churches and Mm -hmm. then was like, I can do this. So he ordered anything from Success Magazine, like any DVDs that had any sort Mm -hmm. of motivational speaking on it and then couldn't even plagiarize them well enough to do anything with it. Even though he tried. All right. And then finally, which he, what he was trying to do when he was arrested was he really wanted to be a rapper. Oh, yes. Yes. I so, recall hearing that. Um, he had a rap room. Rap room. He wrote raps. He played his victims' tapes of his raps. You can <laughs> find these. Nice. It's horrifying. If you listen to the last podcast right. on the left, they did an episode. They had three episodes on this case. Okay. And um, they rap it, which I think is the best way to listen to it if you're going to listen to his raps at all. They rap it. Uh-huh. Not yeah, just they play rap his. It. No, they, they rap it. And that nice. is the best way because you're not, you're not listening to Icky Paul Bernardo. Okay. It's hilarious because they do it with a really thick Canadian accent. <laughs> Highly recommend. Highly recommend. Nice. So that's just kind of giving you an overview as to Paul Bernardo, this really handsome man who's just decided that he'd rather do all of the work to scam somebody rather than just work in finance, which is where he already had a good job and career. Yeah. So. Any questions, class? (laughs) (laughs) Still so many questions about the worms, but that's that's not the point of this case. That's all you get. That's all you get. (laughs) 
Um, so Carla Homolka was born to Carol and Dorothy Homolka. Carol is her dad's name. It's spelled with a K. Okay. She was the eldest of three girls, and she had a pretty middle-class life. She had a pool growing up. Um, they're a really normal family. There are some instances that Carla will say that her father was abusive, but nobody could really confirm that. You know? Gotcha. So she, I was originally, I don't think I'm going to say her sister's name because I know that she's changed it now. Yeah. So I'm going to use her name previously, her older name from when she was born. Her name was Lori. Yeah. Lori was born in 1971 and her youngest sister, Tammy, was born in 1975. So as she was growing up, it was really clear that she had a love for animals. Um, unfortunately, there was also an incident when she was younger um, with a hamster of one of her friends. Oh, no. Yeah. Carla wanted to make a pillowcase parachute for the hamster. And then she... Cute. Ag- yeah, and then she tossed it out a window. Not cute. No, it did not live. So... A few weeks later after that, she Carla made- needs that, sci- that science project that we all used to have to do. Yeah, egg drop. With the egg drop. Yeah. I think she was really young when this happened, though. She was, like, definitely uh, elementary, maybe early middle school. Like, Yeah, I did that in, like, fifth grade. Oh, you did it in fifth grade? We did fifth? egg drop in third grade. I think fifth. I did it in Miss Rocket's class. Miss Rocket? That was her last name. I love that name. She got married. She got rid of her last name. Stupid love. (laughs) Stupid love. Yeah. A couple weeks after the hamster died, Carla made her friend dig up the grave and was commenting and behaving kind of strangely with the corpse. It's really weird. She thought it was gross, but cool. So as she grew up. Dr. Pibble Popper is gross, but cool. Yeah. (laughs) Dead carcasses. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, like, some kids are into science. But, you know. Uh, Carla was known as a leader as she grew up and it, sort of into, like, the she was kind of the tough one out of their group. She was kind of like a punky alt kid in high school. She looked the part, certainly, but she was beautiful. And she also would self-harm and dig holes into her skin and then put nail polish in them. Oh, what? Yeah, I don't know. At one point, she told her friend that she wanted to poke holes in somebody and then play connect the dots with a knife. So, was she just trying to be edgy or were this was this a sign? The world may never know. Well, I think now we know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Exactly. And then there were two. <laughs> so... May 4th, 1987, Paul commits his first rape. He was 22, and the girl that he raped was 21, and he raped her at a bus stop. May 14th, he commits a second rape. She was 19, and it was in front of her home. So he's just jumping. Mm-hmm. Full in. Mm-hmm. Not even taking a break. Well, he was a peeping Tom, but, like, nothing yeah. notable. And then July 27th, he attempts a third rape at a young woman at a bus stop. So we're already starting starting off strong, Paul. October 17th, 1987, Carla had been working at a pet store. And she and her friend Debbie went to 
I knocked over my drink. <laughs> it's okay. It has a lid. They went to a convention for work, which was like a pet convention at this hotel. They were at the hotel restaurant when in walks Van and Paul. Paul promptly ordered an endless bucket of chicken wings and they enjoy a nice dinner together before going upstairs. How hot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Paul. Nothing turns me on like chicken wings. (laughs) I like a good bone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so gross. Um, They promptly go upstairs and have violent sex in front of Van and Debbie. (laughs) Yeah. No, they're in the room. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's 23 and she's 17 at this point. Okay. Yes. So, so oh, note to self, stay away from mm-hmm. anybody who gets turned on by chicken wings. It was known to be like love at first sight kind of thing. Like they were infatuated with each other from day one. Well, yeah. And um, crazy. Meet crazy. Yeah. So the reason that Van was there, and this is so gross, is Van had a fantasy of like what he called sloppy seconds. Like he wanted to sleep with somebody after Paul slept with them. And so he was kind of hoping that that's what was going to happen. So he asked, and Paul was like, no, I love her. She's different. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's like they were, it was oh definitely my. infatuation right at the beginning. So, oh, yeah. I, I just, wow. Exactly. Okay. hmm He gets her phone number, and he starts to drive to see Carla twice a week. He gives her love and affection. And eventually starts to run every aspect of her life. He tells her what to wear, how to do her hair, what to eat. Um, Does he tell her to stop putting nail polish in her skin? I mean, perhaps. You know, who knows? Or does he help her stab her skin? Who knows? I don't know. It's a little confusing. Paul commits some more rapes, unfortunately. Sorry, I'm going back and forth because... What? You mean he didn't... Stop? No. Stop when he met the love of his life? No. The Rad- Radford University in Virginia has a really intense, like, research on him. So I found that, and I keep going back and forth in my notes. That's why I'm, like, te- teetering around. December of 1987, Paul commits his third rape, a girl who's 15 years old getting off the bus. And this is when the media coins the name the Scarborough Rapist. Um, in March of 1988, the Scarborough Rapist Task Force is formed by the Metro Police. The rapes have kind of stopped except for a similar attack in May. So I'm going to give you a, a bit more of a rundown of these rapes, like the statistics of them. So he committed four rapes in 1987, seven rapes in 1988, and six rapes in 1989. Obviously, not all of these were reported at the time. People came forward yeah. after but the, uh, the reality is most rapes are never reported. True. So these numbers are probably not accurate. Yeah. One of these girls in 1989 was able to create a composite sketch of her assailant, and it looked exactly like Paul. To a T. Wow. Yes. Unfortunately, they didn't release this sketch for a very long time. They uh-huh. held it for like three years. What? Yeah. They also did not process the rape kits for three years. 
So they also brought in an FBI profiler at one point who said he would be a young, attractive white male who had a history of violence in his relationships. So looks like Paul. Sounds like Paul. (laughs) It walks like a duck. But it's a duck. (laughs) But it's a duck, yeah. And finally, when they did come forward with the sketch, many people said, yo, that's Paul Bernardo. (laughs) Like, people from his work, women who had been attacked by him. People were like, yeah, dude, that's Paul. Um, Nope. (laughs) They didn't care. They were like, nah, he's just a guy. (laughs) Attractive people don't rape people. What are you talking about? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's going back and forth to St. Catherine's twice a week to see Carla, and her parents loved Paul. To him, to them, that he's like a 22, 23-year-old man with a good job who's willing to take care of their daughter, who at this point is almost of age. I'm still not okay with this. Yeah, I mean, there's an age gap, but to them, they're just thinking he's a nice guy, and he's driving all the way. It's like two, it's like two and a half hours to come see her, and... You know, he's spending wholesome time with the family. Even gets... more creepy. That's even more reason to be like, what? I don't know. They... What is wrong with you when you're 23 and you're coming after a 17-year-old and you're going this far? I don't know. To me, that's. Yeah. Well, but I'm a suspicious. I I'm I get suspicious. That. I get that. They didn't see it that way, unfortunately. They, they loved him. Um, Paula and Carla instantly sort of fell into, from day one, a kink, like, BDSM dynamic all the Mm -hmm. time um, in a very unhealthy way. She wrote endless notes expressing her love. She constantly called him king. And at one point, oh, no, at one point, her friends find a list. And this list said, never let anyone know our relationship is anything but perfect. Don't talk back to Paul. Be a perfect girlfriend for Paul. If Paul asks you for a drink, bring him one quickly and happily. Remember that you're stupid. Remember that you're ugly. Remember that you're fat. I don't know why I have to tell you these things because you never change. So that's delightful. All healthy, speechless. All healthy relationships have a list like that, right? Speechless. Yeah. What? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. Okay. Um. So Paul moves in with Carla and her family and eventually proposes to her. He lies to her family about having a job or that he lost his job as an accountant while he was smuggling cigarettes at this time. This is when things kind of get a little bit worse. Um, He asked Carla at one point, if I was a rapist, like, what would you think about that? She's like, that'd be cool. (laughs) You know, that'd be cool. So he goes on to commit more rapes being spurred on by his girlfriend's reaction to that. He commits a fifth rape, which is the fifth one um, that they knew of at the time. So there are more. there's more that right. have happened. So my numbers are a little bit wacky. I'm sorry. Age 19, she was getting off of a bus. He commits another. She was 18. It was about 10 miles from Scarborough, and there's not a lot known about that one or where it was or what happened. In October, he attempts another rape, but she fought him off and stabbed him in the thigh and the buttocks, and he had to get 12 stitches. That would be an interesting conversation for the emergency room. Yeah. Um, How did you get stabbed in the butt? I don't know what he said. Oh, yeah. No idea. He also starts dating a girl named Anna while he was in Toronto because she was in St. Catherine. Carla was in St. Catherine's. 
right. which is two and a half hours away. So he would go see her and date her, but he's also dating a girl in Toronto. Of course. Right. Um, I mean, why should Carla complain? If she's okay with him raping people, then... Yeah. But no, they're in love. They're, they're deeply, 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 deeply in love. In love. This is a love story yeah. for the times. Exactly. So, a little bit tricky here. Paul expresses to Carla that he's upset that she's not a virgin and that he is attracted to her youngest sister, Tammy. He demands to her that Tammy is not to have sex with any guy. She is to stay a virgin. And he commits another rape in the the girl's parents' backyard. He's living so, at the house. So he commits, like, around, that just happens to be around the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's in the same month. It's all in November okay. of 1988. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, like, within a week of each other, they're happening. Because he's just not, he doesn't have a long period of time, like, he goes from November, he commits that rape, and then in December, he commits another one. But he is chased off after he attempts from a neighbor. He commits another one, attempts, but she screams for neighbors and he runs away. He does com- com- successfully, I guess successfully is not the right word, but. Well, I mean, <laughs> technically, it, is, yeah. it just isn't, doesn't sound. Yeah. He rapes a 22 year old woman. After he'd been stalking her outside her window, he commits another rape who was 15 out at a bus shelter in November. So it was December, June, August, November, May. Yeah. So they're pretty back to back. Um, Paul's got to stay busy. Paul has to stay busy. So they started running finally some of the rape kits and the DNA samples from the Scarborough rapist because their task force is still technically a go and even if they're being really slow about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and two detectives interview Paul for about 35 minutes. He gives them hair, saliva, and blood samples for testing and he swears he's not the Scarborough rapist and they're like, yeah, you're not the Scarborough rapist. You're like this all-Canadian boy. You're good. Sends him on his way. You have the duck's feathers. <laughs> they didn't run the duck's feathers. You have them. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Yes, ma'am. So, July 1990. We're backtracking just a little bit. I was trying to get through all of the rapes because yeah. it gets really confusing because those were just ones that Paul committed on his own that we right. know of. Right. At this point, in July 1990, July 24th to be exact, Carla is going to start participating. Well, you know, they say keep a relationship alive. You got to be interested in what your partner's interested in. <laughs> you have to find things to do together. Yeah. So Carla, Most of us just watch Netflix series yeah, together. Yeah. Carla tells Paul that as a Christmas gift or an early wedding present. I'm sorry, not a Christmas gift, an early wedding present. Mm. Um, he is going, she's going to give him Tammy, his little, her little sister. Gross. Yeah. So they served Carla, not Carla, Tammy, Tammy, some spaghetti that had a crushed up Valium stolen from Carla's work. She was working at the Martindale Animal Clinic. Now, she's working at animal clinics and pet stores and animal hospitals and assisting on graphic surgeries with pets. And yeah. their sedation. 
So she has lots of knowledge to bring to this couple, killing couple duo that they create. He rapes Tammy for about a minute at that point in July before she wakes up. And they move on. And then a little later that year, Paul ends up taking Tammy across the border and then comes back and told Mark Carla that they got drunk and made out, but that was it. Okay. Yep. And then in November is when he was questioned. Um, and he was so cocky that, like I said, he provided them everything they needed. But he was so personable and he gave them the samples and he, you know, he was fine. They didn't end up testing it until way later. It only lasted 35 minutes. I just... Yep. And he was actually turned in by Van's wife, who was like, yo, you have to quit dilly-dallying. You have to talk to this guy. I would be so furious if I was Van's wife. Just walked away. Oh, my gosh. So, do we need a palate cleanser before we keep going? Maybe. This is rough. I don't have one. I was hoping maybe you'd have one. I... I don't know. Do you know that there's Mod a na- here's, here's a palette here's a palette cleanser. Do you know that there's a national duck stamp painting competition every year? <laughs> I did not. It's fascinating. You should really look it up. It's really interesting. Okay. Speaking of ducks, like, speaking of ducks, yeah, it's yeah, really cool. Okay. So after a Christmas party, a family Christmas party on December twenty third, nineteen ninety. Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka drug her little sister Tammy Homolka when she was 15 years old with animal tranquilizers of halophane that Carla stole from her work. Paul and Carla raped Tammy while she's unconscious with drug spiked eggnog. They used eggnog. I'm sorry. That was backwards. Gotcha. Um, They rape her while she's unconscious. Carla performs oral sex on her little sister. They're filming the whole thing. Tammy eventually chokes on her own vomit and she dies. They can't revive her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All of this is in their living room. It's all on camera. They like, who else? This is in Carla's family's home. No, they moved out. So her and Paul have moved to St. Catharines. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh no, no. They moved to St. Catharines right after, but yes. Okay. So Tammy's staying over at their house. Paul and no, Carlos. they're at the family home. Oh, so they are at the family. Yes, home. lovely. It's the family home and sleeping. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> oh my gosh. You. Okay. So they call the police. They he they basically they take her upstairs and they clean her up because she had ru- she had burns on her face from the halophane. Oh so my they gosh. took her upstairs where there was carpeting and said that when they pulled her off the bed to try and revive her she got rug burn on her face it's a chemical burn please not a rug burn oh yeah oh yeah yeah chemical burn and rug burn look Look very very different different. Mm -hmm. but they rule her death an accident and that's it oh my gosh they leave a note in her coffin with her telling her how much they love her paul is even seen stroking her hair at the casket no oh my gosh yep so this is when they move in together at a house in St. Catharines um, in January 1991. Um, it's only been like a month and Paul is back to it. He rapes a female hitchhiker at the Homoka home at their house and just leaves her in an alley somewhere. She's over it. He's done. He moved on. 
in this home that they've created together. You know, a lovely house. They're not married yet, but they're so close to getting married. Um, they have a rap room. They have... <laughs> That's where Paul is, like, writing his raps and everything. And they have friends over. And Carla picks up a pet iguana. Now, I don't know how much you know about iguanas. I know a little bit. They're not super great pets. They no. don't like to be handled. No. Well, one day, one of Carla's friends got bit by this iguana. And Paul had been drinking, and he decides that he's going to take care of it. So he cuts the head off of Carla's pet iguana. And in some sources, they even say that he, like, barbecued it and ate it. What? Yeah. Oh, gross. Carla was seen digging through the body to figure out if the iguana was a boy or a girl. The iguana's name was Spike. Rest in peace, Spike. Rip Spike. Or don't haunt them. Haunt them. (laughs) Yeah. That that works too. Yeah. In April of that year, Paul commits his 12th known rape at the time. She was 14, and this one was a little different. He normally stalked his victims at bus stops or outside of bus stop areas, and this one was not at night, and he didn't stalk her at a bus stop. That's Hmm. pretty much all we know is that it was different, but that was it, and she was younger. So, June 7th, 1991, Carla invites over a Jane Doe, who was 15, who worked with her at the pet store that she was working at at the time. And she invited her over for a girls' night, and it was the first time that this that she had drank alcohol. Um, she was having a good time, and then they drugged her. They raped her. They waited for her to wake up, and then they sent her home like everything was normal. And this was Carla's, this was another wedding gift for Paul. Oh, gross. Mm-hmm. Having her sister and... Yeah. Sister dying wasn't enough. No, that wasn't of enough. A so wedding gift. Um, Paul didn't just rape her. So did Carla, and she filmed the whole thing, and she was involved. So, well, yeah, I think that's where we're gonna stop for part one. That's it's a weird stopping point, but if I go any further, then we have to finish. So, okay. Okay. Because it's just, it gets worse from there. So. What a crazy story. Yeah. I, uh, I just still, I, this is why you don't let your 17-year-old daughter, not that she, well, she's just as bad, I suppose. She is. She is. I, listen, she's there, there are bad. some people who think that she was just a victim. She did nothing wrong. I disagree. Yeah, because even at 17, like, you, you you might be rebellious. You might be a little off, but you definitely wouldn't be handing over your sister. Yeah, and filming it and and yeah, that's saying not... the horrible things that she was saying. At one point, after Tammy died, like I and also I read some of the transcripts of the videos and they were horrifying. So yeah. So yeah. what happened after you said at one yeah. point? At one point after Tammy died, her parents really were struggling with Tammy's death and everything. Yeah. And so her dad was telling them that she didn't want them to get married. He was like, I just think that a wedding is just not what we need right now. 
and she wrote a letter to her friends and she was like, oh, he's just being so annoying. Like he keeps saying, well, if I had known what was going to happen, I would have bought Tammy the car she wanted for her 16th birthday. Well, he could buy me a wedding right now. Like I could die. <laughs> Too bad you she didn't. Was being so <laughs> oh my God. spoiled about the whole thing. And like she was not, she didn't care that Tammy was dead at all. Like she had no remorse. Paul was more upset by it than anything else. I find it, I have to say, I mean, of course, being appalled by Carla and Paul's behavior is is the go-to. Yeah. But I have to say, between the fact that they were totally okay with this 23-year-old guy coming, like, when you question, you live two and a half hours, how the hell did your 17-year-old daughter meet a guy that lives two and a half hours away that's 23 years old? I mean, I think they told them she, how they met at the hotel. Yeah, I just... Not okay. Yeah. Not okay. Number one. Number two, that's the thing that you're focused on. That's the thing that you say about, well, if I had known this was going to happen, I would have bought her that car that she wanted. Like most people's response would be, I wish I would have hugged her more. I wish I would have told her I loved her more. I wish that I wouldn't, you know, or like if the last words you said to her was like she acted out and you got in a fight or something. Yeah. Like. I see what you're saying. It I don't know. I didn't it think wouldn't, about it like that. It wouldn't be about a material thing. I think he was so, just trying to, like, find something to grasp onto. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying I find that a little odd. And and I'm saying I guess it's not shocking that Carla would be so focused. Because if that's kind of the... That's how her father showed love. That's how. Yeah. Like, which obviously, because some people might say that. Well, maybe he's just, that's his love language is giving gifts. Yeah. So that is him, oh, like well, him saying, I, w- I yeah. would have shown her more love if I had known this was going to yeah. happen. In which case. Fair enough. Carla is going to be like, yeah. but what about me? What about my gifts? Well, and like the other thing is the uh, there's stories of Carla just being kind of mean. Yeah. Like, she was known as, like, a tough kid. But then there's also stories of her bullying a handicapped girl when she was in high school. So it's on one hand, you think, yeah, you were being abused. But also, come on. Oh, yeah. It doesn't. Like, there's, I don't know. I don't want to victim shame anybody that's in an abusive relationship. But at the same time. It go- it's just like saying, oh, well, all of these children grew up in this abusive household, but yeah. only one of them becomes a killer. The so others the didn't do that. Bad. So there are millions of women around the world that are in abusive mm-hmm. relationships, and they don't go and perform other abusive crimes yeah. with their abuser. Yeah. So... No, it's like you should have seen or heard. You couldn't see it, but you should have heard some of the or read some of the things that were said in that tape because it's so horrifying. I can't repeat it. That's why I just left it out. Yeah. I recorded oh. everything and it's hard to find them, but you can find transcripts of it and it's terrifying. Gross. Mm-hmm. It is gross. And so you won't convince me that, that she's, she's like anything yeah. other than just an abuse victim that part went of along. It. Yeah, she yeah. did it. And she wanted to be there. Ugh. Ugh is right. Okay. 
It's just going to get worse from here. So let's take a break. Okay. We'll come back. For round two. For part two. Part two. Where we get into um, more of their crimes, their final demise, and then the craziness and what makes this case so important, um, which is the deal with the devil that gets made, the court case, the trial, Mm. plea bargains, the drama. Drama. Next time on burden of proof (laughs) (laughs) thanks for hanging out thank you see you guys soon bye bye thanks for listening guys find us on instagram and tiktok at burden of proof pod and email us at burden of proof pod at gmail.com